0: And uh, ask for the Lord's protection and leading. And uh, we, we do it within a church family setting. We do it in public because we join, they join together with the family of God, right? And so we have a part to play in praying for them and supporting them, and as well as their own commitment to Jesus and his church. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, the testimony of these three gentlemen And uh, we just praise you for your grace in their life and their obedient response. And so I pray that you will protect them from the evil one in Jesus' name. I pray that you'll give them the tools, um, the sustenance of your word, the mighty work of the Holy Spirit to continue to do your work in their lives, to grow and to develop and become mature men of God. And Lord, as we turn to your word, and I pray that you would speak to us through it, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So John and Dayton and Joel were plunged into water, and then thankfully, we lifted them up out of the water, and it symbolizes their death and burial burial to their old life raised up again into a new life with Jesus as their Savior and Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit. But did you notice that, you know, in in a baptism, um, other than saying yes and, uh, you know, getting into the water, they actually did very little else. They actually put themselves in a vulnerable position, and they trusted me to plunge them backwards of all things into the water, and then trusted that I was going to get them out again. could have left them there, but I got them out, right? So this is a wonderful symbol. It symbolizes the act of trusting, surrendering their lives to Jesus because of what God has done for them. So it's a response to God's initiative. They could not baptize themselves, And so baptism symbolizes putting their trust in something that has happened to them through Jesus Christ. So I call it simply the grace plunge. So following Jesus is about plunging your whole life into the grace of God. When we are immersed into the grace of God, it means we give up trying to control our lives, learning to trust the Holy Spirit to lead us. Or you could say we stop trying and learning to trust in the grace of God. So the need for the plunge into God's grace assumes that actually there's a problem that all of us share. It doesn't matter who we are. Whether you grew up in the church since the time you were born, or that you dressed nicely on Sunday morning, or neither if you're young or old, or if you received hardly any teaching about God, you never grew up in the church, or you struggled and you broke, you know, you grew up in a broken home. It doesn't matter who you are. We all share the same problem. We are all sinners that are looking for happiness. We all search for meaning and purpose of life and hope in our life. And each of us in our own way, whether we realize it or not, are trying to solve our problem in our own way. All of us, in short, want to have happiness. We want joy. We want fulfillment. We want peace. So the story I'm going to tell is maybe the most well-known story in the Bible. I don't know. It's the story what we call the prodigal son, but I'm just going to call it the story of two sons from Luke chapter 15. And basically we discover two basic ways people try to find happiness. So the father has two sons, the young son, younger son and the elderly son. The younger son's search for happiness was through his own way. So I call it, I'll do it my way approach. I'll do it my way. The younger son approached his father one day and said to him, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, maybe we have to put a little more attitude into that, because it was rude. Give me my estate now. Basically, he's wanting his father dead, right? When do you get your inheritance? When your parents pass on. He wants it now. And so he wishes his dad were already dead. The son rebelled. He wanted to choose his own way or the way of self-discovery. You can hear him say, I'd rather live my life my way without everyone's dumb rules and demands. Get me out of here. I don't need your help, Dad. I want to discover the world for myself. So I'll do it my way, people want to be free to pursue their own goals and seek self-understanding and fulfillment. Uh, They are people who tend to Buck tradition and customs have a hard time with authority figures in their life. And so armed with this portion, his portion of the family inheritance, this younger son took all of it and he flew off to some distant land seeking for happiness his own way. Now the second way people seek happiness is by following the rules or by being very, very good. And so these people I call, "I'll follow the rules, people." This is the way of moral conformity. This is the way of the elderly son. Now the other son, elderly son, portrays basically it's a portrayal of the way of the Pharisees. They thought they were special. after all, were chosen by God. And the only way they could maintain their place and final salvation was through strict obedience to the rules of their own Jewish traditions. And all the add-ons, too. They believed in putting the will of God and standards of their community above themselves. And so, I'll follow the rules kind of people don't necessarily have to be religious. The Pharisees were religious, but you don't necessarily have to be religious They try to be, you know, law-abiding citizens and look good, generally good, to the general public on earth as a way of seeking fulfillment and happiness, basically through the approval of others. As long as I look good, then I must be okay. We don't want to rock the boat, and we would rather live in a way to make everyone happy around me so that I am happy. They do good. They are good at being good at least on the outside. But secretly they seek happiness through their own power, through their own goodness, and through the approval of others. So in the story of the two sons, the elder son, he actually never left home. He stayed at home and he worked for his father and he, as he says, I never disobeyed you, any order. You know the interesting thing about these two sons and the two ways is that you know they actually don't get along. They're like opposites. There is often a great divide between these two ways of trying to find happiness. The "I'll do it my way" people hate the rock stacking, goody two shoes. I'll follow the rules, people. They regard them as hypocrites and bigots because they probably are. On the other hand, the rule following moralists are horrified by their younger brother and their immorality and their rebel minded spirit. Those who do such a thing, the elderly brother says, are the armpit of society. And the reason why this world is in such a mess because of that younger brother and the likes of him. You know, perhaps you might recognize yourself, maybe just a tiny bit, in one person or the other. Now, it's not as if you have to be one or the other. You could actually be both, right? You could have started one way, at a certain point in your life, and then turn to the other way, and then switch back, or you experience both. And still, the same thing. You're looking for fulfillment. You're looking for happiness and joy. But both ways are wrong. You see, we don't simply have one lost son. Usually the emphasis is the prodigal son, the younger one, but actually in this story, both sons are completely lost. Two lost sons. One is lost by being very, very bad, and the other one is lost by trying to be very, very good. But both ways lead to death in the end. Both ways end up in the traffic circle of life, which goes around and around and around with going nowhere. So the younger son, he blew his inheritance. He committed every immoral act you could imagine, including sleeping around with prostitutes. He became destitute. And when when a great famine hit the land, he ended up working in the field, feeding pigs. And because this is a Jewish story, it was the ultimate insult for a Jewish boy. And he was so hungry... If he wanted to eat anything, he had to eat the feed of the pigs themselves. That is the bottom of the bottom for this boy. And so one day, this younger son finally came to his senses. What am I doing, he cries. All my father's hired hands, they're probably having steak for dinner. They're getting fed, taken care of, and here I am, afraid. He decided one day that he was going to return to his father and say to his dad, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired slaves. And so he got up and he returned home. Excuse me. Now, before we get to the elderly son... Maybe the main person in this story is the father. We're given a beautiful picture of the father. The father is a picture of our gracious father. The story tells us, well, the young man was on the road coming home from a long ways off. The father recognized his son. Just kind of picture him waiting on the side of the road for his prodigal son waiting maybe with tears with compassion and it says he ran toward his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. i mean it's the most compassionate adorable shameless scene back in those days with the robes that fathers wore they didn't normally run but here's a picture of a father who doesn't care I don't care how bad I look, I'm going to run to my son, and I'm going to welcome him. Compassion. And the son said to his father, and this is what he rehearsed, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. But what did the father do? He welcomed his son home not as a hired servant, not as a slave, but as a son who was dead, but now he is now made alive. A son who was lost, but now is found. This would not be a moment of punishment, but a moment of celebration. A reconciliation has happened between the son and his loving father. And so we have this very vivid picture of God's grace. Though undeserved, this repentant rebel is welcomed home. Then a best robe is set on his shoulders. A ring is put on his finger, sandals for his feet. These are all signs and symbols of honor. You've become a son, a child in this family. The father celebrates with a feast for his son who was dead spiritually but now is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. You know, grace means that God's, God lavishes his love on us even though we were rebellious sinners against him. It means... He forgives all of our sins, taking our sins, all of our sins, upon himself instead. Now, if you notice, the younger son was repentant and was even willing to be a hired servant or a slave. But the father does not allow for us to be this way. He says, no, when you come home, you become a real son. You become truly human in God's home. Now, although this parable doesn't explain everything about salvation, it reveals to us the amazing picture of God's grace. We don't repent and turn to Jesus as our Savior and at the same time think we must go through a season of penance or I have to earn myself back again. No, God rejoices in the fact that his Son has come back. His daughter has come back. A daughter has come back if you are female, simply repenting of their sins and turning homeward to God. And so, this expression of baptism, bringing them out of the water, is like this holy, sacred embrace of God and says, Welcome home. You are in my family. I call you my son and my daughter. You're not just simply squeaking in, it is my grace. A repentant sinner turns to Jesus and is plunged into God's incredible, lavish grace in his patient, and I mean patient compassion. Jesus, who is God in human flesh, actually died the death that was supposed to come to, into, uh, died in our place. The punishment for our sins was already complete. And so the only means to life and joy and happiness and hope and fulfillment is trusting in Jesus and allow him to plunge him to plunge us into his grace trusting him falling back into his grace where he will take care of his children now the elder son as i said he was lost too when the elder son saw how his father welcomed the rebellious younger son home he refused to join the celebration why? well I think he's jealous mighty jealous he thought his father was being unfair and so he became angry how could my father forgive this rebel son and not only do that throw him a celebration my goodness he belongs in the backyard somewhere He said to his dad, Dad, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never, ever uh, disobeyed one order that you ever gave me. But you never gave me a celebration like this with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice he doesn't even call him his brother, this son of yours has squandered his inheritance, family property, slept around, He comes back and you kill a fattened calf for him? He's angry. He's jealous. And so both sons are lost. The elder son is lost because he thinks his goodness should be good enough for dad, for God the father. And that his goodness deserves a celebration because I've earned it. Both sons are about me, myself, and I. They just do it in different ways. The elder son looks good, but he's ultimately very, very selfish. The younger son was selfish by doing his own thing, but the elder son is selfish thinking his righteousness was better than his brother's, and he deserved to be rewarded. He looked at his younger brother with great disdain, but it exposed his self-righteous heart. Sometimes those who follow the rules blind themselves to their own sin and then can only see the sins of others. We can be just like them, can't we? You know, it doesn't matter if we think more like the oldest son, or the younger son, all of us must understand that our happiness, the true purpose and meaning of life, is not something that you can produce yourself. You can't, God can't save you if you think you can save yourself. That is why all of us need to admit we can't save ourselves, and in faith, trust, and let God plunge us into his saving grace. You know, trying to save ourselves and plunging our life into the grace of God uh, kind of reminds me of, of uh, two barbecues. So I have on my deck a barbecue that runs off of propane tanks. And, uh, and some of you might be blessed with a barbecue with natural gas. Good for you. Am I a tad bit jealous now, skin? <laughs> so it dawned on me that, uh, you know, this is a good little analogy, a little bit domestic, but barbecue fueled by, you know, propane tanks um, is like trying to earn your own salvation. I mean, if you fast forward in your life, how many times you're filling up that tank, in my case, don't realize how empty it is, and then you go to barbecue and there's nothing there. I'm sure that's never happened to you, right? Never. Um, It's like this endless, tiresome exercise. Filling, refilling, filling, refilling, you know, refill, refill, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, you know. And, 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 you know, sometimes, you know, you just botch it because there's no propane there. But for those who have a barbecue that's attached to the natural gas line, good for you, there's this eternal supply of fuel. Endless supply. And you never have to worry about it All again. Unless you don't pay your rent, but that's another story. The natural gas barbecue is like plunging our lives into the grace of God because God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? My divine divine power is everything you need for a life of Godliness through your knowledge of Jesus. Does that sound like an eternal line of God empowering you? It does, right? Right? And so when we confess our sins and say to the Lord, today I choose to let you fill me up with your grace, an empowering relationship, after all it isn't, you know, gas. It's a relationship. God is saying that relationship will never end. It is here for you. The Father's embrace is right here. Come. And receive that grace. So faith really begins by receiving. Receiving that hug, if you will. Receiving that forgiveness. And we must receive it in faith. And trust that it's real because it is real. And so this grace plunge is a new relationship. Renee... Shoffler shares a story of his roommate in college. And his roommate was one of the most uncouth people in the world, he says. If there was the slightest excuse to make disgusting bodily noise, he would make it. That kind of roommate. Have you had a roommate like that, anyone? Completely disgusting, right? He wore clothes right out of the laundry pile. He never washed anything. Well, maybe once in a while. He showered once a week. He refused to put on deodorant because he was avoiding the narrow definition of acceptable odor foisted upon society by pharmaceutical companies. Then one day, this roommate changed overnight. He washed and ironed his clothes. I mean, he smelled great suddenly. Suddenly, he spoke with eloquence. What's the reason? He fell in love. Suddenly he was delighted to change because of the influence of a new sweet relationship. And so something happens like this when you grow in the grace of God. 2 Peter 3.18 says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why the grace of God? Because it is... Faith in God's grace that actually transforms our character from the inside out. You see, the two ways of the two sons will try to pull you back. They will, right? And so these three candidates and the rest of us, we need to understand that. It'll try to pull you back, right? We want to get get back control. Or we get so discouraged and upset that we said, forget this, right? I'll go back to my own way. And we don't really talk like that, right? But we kind of act it out. And so these two ways are enemies of grace, actually. Your goodness, motivated by the approval of others, is tiring. And it weighs you down. It's a silly game. It's like swapping barbecue tanks over and over again. But living through the power of God's grace puts an end to performance-driven religion. You know, many people who are smart and intelligent and hardworking struggle to understand grace because they're so enamored with themselves. But they can never find true joy that way. They are perfectionists by nature. They work hard by nature. And they see all the imperfections in themselves and others and feel like they can never measure up. They tend to be self-critical, but critical of others as well. I mean, this is a very weary, weary place to be. So if that's where you're at, um, listen to the wonderful words of Jesus. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is that your version of who God the Father is? I mean, it's shocking, isn't it? When's the last time you heard that God is gentle and humble in heart? And so easy to embrace you and love you. Yeah, that's that's our God. That's our God. God's grace says, I already approve of you. Not because of you. But because when you surrendered your life to Jesus, now you're in me. Your whole identity is in Jesus. He has already accepted you. Now we must learn, as Peter says, to grow in the grace of God and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So like that direct line, that natural gas barbecue line, God has given you the Holy Spirit, God's presence, who will never leave you nor forsake you. Peter says, my divine power has given you everything for a godly life for those who know God. So whether you identify with the rebellious younger son or with the goody-two-shoes elderly son, all of us need God's grace that God has freely given us through Jesus' love for us. If you have not already, I encourage you today, surrender your life to God's grace. Surrender your life to God's grace. If you have already made that decision in your life to follow Jesus, the answer is the same. Surrender your life to God's grace over and over again. Continue to surrender your life to him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we just celebrate. We celebrate the life of individuals that hear your voice, maybe just a simple nudge or a simple call, an urging, and then they boldly make a decision and do it in front of others and continue to live the life amongst your people, we rejoice. And Lord, uh, I pray that if there be someone here today that knows within their heart that that surrender has never happened. May you give them the courage to do that. May your Holy Spirit touch them to make that decision even today. And maybe one day they too will walk in the waters of baptism. And so, Lord, um, thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your grace. May we be like that younger son who repented of their sin but received your loving grace. And so help all of us to grow strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and to grow deeper in it through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.